Volume One, Chapter Sixteen of Helen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Helen by Maria Edgeworth. Volume One, Chapter Sixteen. It was expected by all who had witnessed his discomfiture and his parting push to the chair that Mr. Churchill would be off early in the morning, such was his wont when he was disturbed in vanity, but he reappeared at breakfast. This day was a good day with Horace. He determined it should be so, and though it was again a wet day, he now showed that he could rule the weather of his own humour when intensity of will was wakened by rivalry. He made himself most agreeable and the man of yesterday was forgotten or remembered only as a foil to the man of to-day. The words he so much loved to hear, and to which he had so often surreptitiously listened, were now repeated. No one can be so agreeable as Horace Churchill is on his good days. Bright he shone out, all gaiety and graciousness. The cache de faveur was for all, but his finest impression was for Helen. He tried flattery and wit, each playing on the other with reflected and reflecting lustre, for a woman naturally says to herself, when this man has so much wit, his flattery even must be worth something. Another day came, and another, and another party of friends filled the house, and still Mr. Churchill remained, and was now the delight of all. As far as concerned his successes in society, no one was more ready to join in applause than Beauclerc, but when Helen was in question he was different, though he had reasoned himself into the belief that he could not yet love Miss Stanley, therefore he could not be jealous. But he had been glad to observe that she had from the first seemed to see what sort of a person Mr. Churchill was. She was now only amused, as everybody must be, but she would never be interested by such a man as Horace Churchill, a wit without a soul. If she were, why, he could never feel any further interest about her, that was all. So it went on and now Lady Cecilia was as much amused as she expected by these daily jealousies, conflicts, and comparisons, the feelings perpetually tricking themselves out and strutting about, calling themselves judgments, like the servants in Gil Blas, in their master's clothes, going about as counts, dukes, and grandees. "'Well, really,' said Lady Cecilia to Helen one day, as she was standing near her tambour frame, "'you are an industrious creature,' and the only very industrious person I could ever bear. I have myself a natural aversion to a needle, but that tambour needle I can better endure than a common one, because, in the first place, it makes a little noise in the world. One not only sees, but hears it getting on. One finds that without dragging it draws at every link a lengthened chain. It is called chain-stitch, is it not? said the aide-de-camp, and Miss Stanley is working on so famously fast at it she will have us all in her chains by and by. Bow, Miss Stanley, said Lady Cecilia. That pretty compliment deserves at least a bow, if not a look-up. I should prefer a look-down, if I were to choose, said Churchill. Beggars must not be choosers, said the aide-de-camp. But the very reason I can bear to look at you working, Helen, continued Lady Cecilia, is because you do look up so often, so refreshingly. The professed notables I detest, those who never raise their eyes from their everlasting work, whatever is said, read, thought, or felt, 
is with them of secondary importance to that bit of muslin in which they are making holes or that bit of canvas on which they are perpetrating such figures or flowers as nature scorns to look upon i did not mean anything against you mamma i assure you continued cecilia turning to her mother who was also at her embroidering frame because though you do work or have work before you to do you justice you never attend to it in the least thank you my dear cecilia said lady davenant smiling i am indeed a sad bungler but still i shall always maintain a great respect for work and workers and i have good reasons for it and so have i said lord davenant i only wish that men who do not know what to do with their hands were not ashamed to sew if custom had but allowed us this resource how many valuable lives might have been saved how many rich ennois would not have hung themselves even in november what years of war what overthrow of empires might have been avoided if princes and sultans instead of throwing handkerchiefs had but hemmed them no no said lady davenant recollect that the race of spanish kings has somewhat deteriorated since they exchanged the sword for the tambour frame we had better have things as they are leave us the privilege of the needle and what a valuable resource it is sovereign against the root of all evil an antidote both to love in idleness and hate in idleness which is most to be dreaded let those who have felt both decide i think we ladies must be allowed to keep the privilege of the needle to ourselves humble though it be for we must allow it is a good one good at need said churchill there is an excellent print by bauck i believe of an old woman beating the devil with a distaff distaffs have been out of fashion with spinsters ever since i fancy but as she was old churchill said lord davenant might not your lady have defied his black majesty without her distaff his black majesty i admire your distinction my lord said churchill but give it more emphasis for all kings are not black in the eyes of the fair it is said you know and here he began an anecdote of regal scandal in which lady cecilia stopped him now horace i protest against your beginning with scandal so early in the morning none of your on dits for decency's sake before luncheon wait till evening churchill coughed and shrugged and sighed and declared he would be temperate he would not touch a character upon his honour he would only indulge in a few little personalities it could not hurt any lady's feelings that he should criticise or praise absent beauties so he just made a review of all he could recollect in answer to a question one of the officers captain warmsley had asked him and which in an absent fit he had had the ill manners yesterday as he now recollected not to answer whom he considered as altogether the handsomest woman of his acquaintance beauclerc was now in the room and horace was proud to display before him in particular his infinite knowledge of the fair and fashionable and all that might be admitted fashionable without being fair all that have the je ne sais quoi which is then beauty dearer as one conscious of his power to consecrate or desecrate by one look of disdain or one word of praise he stood and beginning at the lowest conceivable point his uttermost notion of want of beauty his laid ideal naming one whose image no doubt every charitable imagination will here supply horace next fixed upon another for his mediocrity point what he should call just well enough assez bien assez just up to the bellicesis motto bonnet belle assez 
Then, in the ascending scale, he rose to those who, in common parlance, may be called charming, fascinating. And still for each he had his fastidious look and appreciating word. Just keeping within the verge, Horace, without exposing himself to the ridicule of coxcombry, ended by sighing for that being made of every creature's best, perfect yet free from the curse of perfection. Then, suddenly turning to Beauclerc, and tapping him on the shoulder, do give us your notions to what sort of a body or mind now would you willingly bend the knee beauclerk could not or would not tell i only know that whenever i bend the knee he said it will be because i cannot help it beauclerk was not to be drawn out either by churchill's persiflage or flattery he tried both to talk of his tastes or opinions of women he felt too much perhaps about love to talk much about it this all agreed well in Helen's imagination with what Lady Cecilia had told her of his secret engagement. She was sure he was thinking of Lady Blanche, and that he could not venture to describe her, lest he should betray himself and his secret. Then, leaving Churchill and the talkers, he walked up and down the room alone, at the further side, seeming as if he were recollecting some lines which he repeated to himself, and then stopping before Lady Cecilia, repeated to her, in a very low voice, the following. I saw her upon nearer view, a spirit, yet a woman, too, her household motions light and free, and steps of virgin liberty, a countenance in which did meet sweet records, promises as sweet, a creature not too bright or good, for human nature's daily food, for transient sorrows, simple wiles, praise, blame, love, kisses, tears, and smiles. Helen thought Lady Blanche must be a charming creature if she was like this picture. But somehow, as she afterwards told Lady Cecilia, she had formed a different idea of Lady Blanche Forrester. Cecilia smiled and asked, How? Different how? Helen did not exactly know, but altogether she had imagined that she must be more of a heroine, or perhaps more of a woman of rank and fashion. She had not formed any exact idea, but different altogether from this description. Lady Cecilia again smiled, and said, Very natural, and after all not very certain that the Lady Blanche is like this picture, which was not drawn for her or from her assuredly, a resemblance found only in the imagination, to which we are, all of us, more or less, dupes, and tant mieux, say I, tant pis, says Mamma, and all mothers. There's one thing I like better in Mr. Beauclerk's manners than in Mr. Churchill, said Helen. There are a hundred that I like better, said Lady Cecilia, but what is your one thing? That he always speaks of women in general with respect, as if he had more confidence in them, and more dependence upon them for his happiness. Now Mr. Churchill, with all the adoration he professes, seems to look upon them as idols that he can set up or pull down, bend the knee to, or break to pieces, at pleasure. I could not like a man for a friend who had a bad, or even a contemptuous, opinion of women." Could you, Cecilia? Certainly not, Lady Cecilia said. The general has always, naturally, the greatest respect for women. Whatever prejudices he had taken up had been only caught from others, and lasted only till he had got rid of the impression of certain untoward circumstances. Even a grave, serious dislike, both Lady Cecilia and Helen agreed that they could bear better than that persiflage which seemed to mock even while it most professed to admire 
Horace presently discovered the mistakes he had made in his attempts, and repaired them as fast as he could by his infinite versatility. The changes shaded off with a skill which made them run easily into each other. He perceived that Mr. Beauclerk's respectful air and tone were preferred, and he now laid himself out in the respectful line, adding, as he flattered himself, something of a finer point, more polish in whatever he said, and with more weight of authority. But he was mortified to find that it did not produce the expected effect, and, after having done the respectful one morning, as he fancied, in the happiest manner, he was vexed to perceive that he not only could not raise Helen's eyes from her work, but that even Lady Davenant did not attend to him, and that, as he was rounding one of his best periods, her looks were directed to the other side of the room, where Beauclerk sat apart, and presently she called to him, and begged to know what he was reading. She said she quite envied him the power he possessed of being wrapped into future times or past, completely at his author's bidding, to be transported how and where he pleased. Beauclerk brought the book to her, and put it into her hand. As she took it, she said, As we advance in life, it becomes more and more difficult to find in any book the sort of enchanting, entrancing interest which we enjoyed when life, and books, and we ourselves, were new. It were vain to try and settle whether the fault is most in modern books, or in our ancient selves, probably not in either. The fact is, that not only does the imagination cool and weaken as we grow older, but we become, as we live on in this world, too much engrossed by the real business and cares of life, to have feeling or time for fictitious, imaginary interests. But why do I say factitious? While they last, the imaginative interests are as real as any others. Thank you, said Beauclerk, for doing justice to poor imagination, whose pleasures are surely, after all, the highest, the most real, that we have, unwarrantably as they have been decried both by metaphysicians and physicians. The book which had so fixed Beauclerk's attention was Suger's History of Napoleon's Russian Campaign, he was at the page where the burning of Moscow is described. The picture of Bonaparte's despair, when he met resolution greater than his own, when he felt himself vanquished by the human mind, by patriotism, by virtue, virtue in which he could not believe, the existence of which, with all his imagination, he could not conceive, the power which his indomitable will could not conquer. Beauclerk pointed to the account of the famous inscription on the iron gate of a church which the French still found standing, the words written by Rostopchin after the burning of his delightful home. Frenchman, I have been eight years in embellishing this residence. I have lived in it happily in the bosom of my family. The inhabitants of this estate, amounting to seventeen hundred and twenty, have quitted it at your approach, and I have, with my own hands, set fire to my own house, to prevent it from being polluted by your presence. See what one— even one magnanimous individual can do for his country exclaimed beauclerk how little did this sacrifice cost him sacrifice do i say it was a pride a pleasure churchill did not at all like the expression of helen's countenance for he perceived she sympathized with beauclerk's enthusiasm he saw that romantic enthusiasm had more charm for her than wit or fashion and now he meditated another change of style he would try a noble style. He resolved that the first convenient opportunity he would be a little romantic, and perhaps even take a touch of chivalry, a burst like Beauclerk, 
but in a way of his own, at the degeneracy of modern times. He tried it, but it was quite a failure. Lady Cecilia, as he overheard, whispered to Helen what was once so happily said, Ah, la pauvre homme, comme il se bat, le francs d'un enthousiasme de commande. Horace was too clever a man to persist in a wrong line, or one in which his test of right success did not crown his endeavors. If this did not do, something else would, should. It was impossible that with all his spirit of resource he should ultimately fail. To please, and to make an impression on Helen, a greater impression than Beauclerk, to annoy Beauclerk, in short, was still, independently of all serious thoughts, the utmost object of Churchill's endeavors. End of the first volume.